Hey, uh, just a, a reminder, it's the, the cat's out of the bag, so to speak. Um, but uh, we had a great time last night in Clarion, honoring Pastor Trent with 25 years of ministry. That's just at Zion, that he's been there. Very unusual. Um, one of the speakers mentioned that uh, the average for a pastor to be at a church is about seven years, which you think is scary, but then you got to think, that means there's some guys that like are there for a year, right? I mean, it's an average. And so uh, feel free if you wanted to drop him a card or a note or even just send him an email, uh, trent at zionlife.com. That'll get to him and uh, you won't be spoiling any surprise at that point. Yeah, there's quite a few people there uh, despite the fact that we had to wear Detroit Lions gear. Um, so go Lions, or Niners, by the way. So uh, we are continuing in Genesis uh, today and I want you to think of a question. Don't say anything out loud, but... Uh, it's kind of one of those, what's the first thing that comes to your mind questions? When I say the term Noah's Ark, what comes to your mind? Maybe jot it down. Uh, just come, what, what do you think of when you hear the term Noah's Ark? And we'll get back to that later uh, this morning. Quick review. Uh, we've looked at Genesis chapter 1, the creation, the preparation of the earth, what mankind was supposed to do. We saw quite clearly that we are made in the image of God. Uh, we learned all about Adam and Eve and their creation and their, their job to tend the garden, tend the creation that God made, to bear that authority that God gave to them. And then unfortunately we had chapter 3, the, the fall and the effects of that all that had on humanity. But we also, in the midst of that very, very darkest day in all history, we also got a glimpse of the fact that God himself will fix this. It won't be up to people to fix it. We can't, but he will do that. Uh, we, we kind of glossed over, in fact, we didn't even talk about it. G uh, Genesis chapter 4, it's the first recorded death, and, and really it was the first murder uh, that happened. And as you look at chapter 5, you start getting into one of those genealogy chapters. And sometimes the Bible will condense a lot of time in just a few pages, or in this case, a page. And so from Genesis 3... Uh, or excuse me, four into Genesis six, it's at least 1600 years are passing. And the way you figure that out is to kind of look at the genealogies themselves. And I know our world uh, uh, preaches a, a gospel of evolution, but really what happened during that time, it's a good way to describe it as de-evolution. We were created in the image of God. And then in that, again, the unwritten part there, man was, was degrading that image more and more and more. We're being less and less like his image and sin grows and grows. So at the start of chapter six, that's where we jump in and start looking at Noah and the flood story. So let's read the first five verses of six, and we're going to kind of go through and hit some of the high points like we've been doing. God uh, uh, says, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took, uh, they took as their wives any they chose uh, and the Lord said to them, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. And that tick kicks in a little bit later. And then the Nephilim were there on the earth in those days. And also, um, 
where uh, I miss my spot. And the Nephilim were there on the, day in, on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came to, into the daughters of men and bore them children. These were the mighty um, men who were of old, the men of renown. We'll talk about those in a minute. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. We're going to camp there, but real quickly, who are these people, the sons of men, the Nephilim? Uh, wow, that's one of the hardest questions. It's, it's very, very mysterious. If you looked at six commentaries, you'd read probably 13 opinions. It's, it's very vague. Uh, one theory is, is that they are angels, except Jesus messed that up for us when he told us that angels don't breed. So that's that problem there. Um, here, I'll tell you a theory. It's just a theory. I would, I would not take a bullet for this uh, because it, it makes a lot of assumptions. But <clears throat> just suppose that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden in chapter 3, just suppose that they had been living there for 100 years or so, maybe even longer and they had children in the garden, and we just don't hear about it. Adam and Eve sinned, they fell, they were expelled from the garden. What about all those kids still in the garden? Well, over time, they came out of the garden themselves. They themselves fell, disobeyed God, and came out. So in the meantime, we have this fallen race breeding and growing. But then all of a sudden, here comes this uh, generation that was from the garden joining them. So they weren't born, that garden race wasn't born under the fall, but later they entered the fall. So maybe there's something special about these people, supposed people, that were born in paradise. It's a guess. You know what? I don't know. Ask Jesus when you see him, and he'll tell you everything. Uh, but that one just seems to fit. But what I want to focus on is that last verse that we just read, that uh, the wickedness of man was great. Every intention of the, th of the heart of, th of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. So for 1,600 years, we've been getting bad. Every indication, in in boy, I'm having trouble with that word today. Inclination, only evil all of the time. So you see people's actions and all you see is evil at, this, at, at that era. We can hear their words. We can see what they, hear what they say to people. And we conclude how evil that was. And I've heard people say, you know what? It's just like that. We're just living in the days just like before the flood. Folks, it was a lot worse then. Because at least now we have Christ followers. We have some people who are following the Lord and their every thought isn't evil. But, but there, every thought, every person was evil. And it's not just a matter of just some big debaucherous party that was going on. But imagine what it would be like to live at a time where everyone is absolutely evil. It would be horrible. To say it would be anarchy wouldn't do, do it justice. You couldn't even say you were, you were robbed, say someone attacked you. You couldn't even call a cop because there weren't any cops. There wasn't anyone trying to enforce law or morality. It was awful. But then you can think, well, 
I, I still have my family. But remember, it's every person's, every thought was evil all the time. So your spouse, if you had one, and your kids and your parents, everyone was evil. Imagine what that did to the weaker of society, the children, the, the uh, people who were physically weaker. It was a horrible, horrible time. Not just a time of, hey, a lot of parties and drinkings, and I'm sure that went on. But everyone was in it for themselves. And the pain, imagine the pain. We know what happens to, to children, even at growing up into adulthood when they face abuse from an adult, how that affects them over time. Imagine everyone's like that. It has that, that much baggage, and then, and then they pass it on, and you think, oh, those poor children. Well, guess what? They were evil too. Every thought the little kids had was evil. What a horrible, horrible time to live. And so we have to get a grasp of that. Sin hurts. Sin damages. And, and the suffering was absolutely all off the charts. So God is not just saying, oh, you're breaking my laws. He's not simply shaking his finger at them. Now, they were, but it was an issue of all the pain that they were causing one another. Verse 7 goes on and says, So the Lord said, I will blot out man who I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. And you might look at that. It's like, why, did, why does God do that? Isn't he loving and kind? And I, I brought in a, a picture that um, Trish and I have had in our, in our home since we were married. We actually were we're traveling on our honeymoon and we stopped at this diner. I don't remember where it was. It was Oregon or Northern California or something. And we saw this picture and we both really liked it. And if you can see it back there, it's very sweet. It's kind of a pen drawing and it's, it's Jesus holding a lamb. And you could see the, the mark on Jesus' wrist where the cross was. It's very sweet. And it, it, it represents Jesus to a lot of people. And I, it's biblically accurate, right? He's the good shepherd. He is kind. He is gracious. But for some believers, for some people, this is all they see. They just see a part of them. It's accurate, but it's not all of him. There's, there's the aspect or parts or attribute of Jesus where there is judgment, where he will deal with sin. And fortunately, he dealt with sin himself by carrying that cross. I mean, sin cost his, his very life. But God is loving and kind, and he is patient. Remember, he's waited 1,600 years for people to come around. It wasn't quite the time until chapter 6. Mercy, in this case, is ending the suffering. God is going to deal with sin and justice as is all part of the same equation. Justice and grace are coming. Okay, well, how's he going to do this? Verse 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God is going to use this man, Noah. Why did God choose Noah? Now, later it tells us that he was a righteous man. Did God want to use Noah because he was righteous? The answer is no. God chooses on the basis of his own choice and grace always. It's not, he's not just being a good person and he'll use you. 
God uses us and speaks to us and interacts with us by his grace. Uh, he, was, he wasn't chosen because he was righteous. He was righteous because God chose him. God's the one that starts that. It's never earned, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So here it comes. Here comes the flood, verse 13. And God said to Noah, he's going to give him the plan. I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And you get a little hint there of how bad it was. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark or a boat of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. The breadth is 50 and its height is 30. By the way, ship engineers say that's a pretty good ratio of length to height to width for a ship. Uh, some of the other flood narratives around the world. It's interesting that all cultures around the world have flood stories. Gee, I wonder where they got that from. Uh, but one of them, the Babylonian one, makes the ark into a cube shape. Uh, and if you put a cube in water, it's just going to roll around. So that would have been lots of fun. But this ark is, uh, is, a, is of good ratio. Make a roof of the ark, finish it to a cubit above, set the door in the ark on its side, make a lower, second, third decks. So God says, look, I'm going to flood the earth. Now, what happened, what was happening before then, it was entirely different climate. It was, it was radically different. Uh, earlier, I think it was in chapter 2, God had a mist rise up that would water the land. Uh, and there was a firmament. There was the upper waters, whether it was just a lot, of, it was cloudy all the time. I don't know. I wasn't there. But the, it was a very, very different climate at the time. They didn't have rain. They didn't know what it was. So imagine God coming to you as Noah saying, I need you to build an ark because it's going to rain. It's going to what? What's rain? What is that? Well, God said he, he, that's how he was going to wipe the earth clean. Hebrews 11, 7, you could read this yourself. It talks about Noah's faith. God says, build this ark. It's huge, by the way. For 100 years. Because it's going to rain. Something you've never seen before. And Hebrews eleven seven 7 tells us that he believed. The ark was as big as 522 railway cars. I don't mean 522 cars long. I mean, the volume of that many rail cars would fit into the ark. You know, it makes sense. You could turn all those railroad cars into, into liquid and they would fill the ark. That's what that means. Uh, he also, 2 Peter 2.5 tells us, he preached to the people all during that time. So every day he and his boys are getting up and they're working on the ark. And so it's like, boys, I got to go do my preaching, keep working. And so he would go and preach to the people. More grace. Look, there's going to be a flood. God is going to wipe everything out. You've got to repent. And so all, every day they're working on the ark. Every day they are preaching. What motivated Noah? Verse 18 in chapter 6 says, to God says, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. God said, I am going to take care of you. And even after 100 years, he kept, he kept being faithful. But you got to wonder at that time, were there ever days where they're getting up 
Maybe their hands are a little sore and calloused and bloody. Maybe they're, they're tired. Maybe their muscles are sore. They've been, you know, put, they've been pounding nails the day before and sealing with pitch, and they got pitch all over. Met poor, poor Noah's wife. We don't ever know her name, Mrs. Noah. Uh, no, there's always pitch in this house. We're gonna, you know, you're tracking pitch in all the time, Noah. Uh, and, but did you think he woke up someday and thought, you know, year 68, man, this is getting long. But they did. I have to imagine, wonder, he probably did. If he's, any, if he's a man like us, he probably did. Uh, it's just not recorded. But nonetheless, they said, no, no, God covenant with me. God promised that this would happen. So the ark is then loaded. You can read about that in chapter 7. And that's where you know, uh, uh, God brings all these animals. You know what? That's also a point of grace or a proof of grace for the people. If you're living there and all these animals are showing up and coming to Noah, wouldn't that get your attention? I mean, what's going on here? Where are these animals doing? And they're going to that big boat-looking thing. Well, yeah, because God's going to save them too, as well as Noah's family. But they didn't get it. You know, it, and it's, it's like that today. You could present the gospel, show what happened on that Good Friday and the proof of the resurrection, and you could show it changed life. This is what Jesus did for me. This is how he healed me in my mind, body, and spirit and give testimony. But people will not believe because their issue isn't really intellectual. It's moral. They don't want to give up their sin. And so despite the evidence, these people would not believe. They love their sin more. They love their sin more. And it must be justified. It must be dealt with. So in the end, all of a sudden, Noah's right about the coming storm. About a week going and, and this rain starts to fall. But put yourself in those people's place. It's raining. And it's raining. And it's raining for a second. It, just, it starts to come down. And it won't stop. It's coming into their homes. And at some point, God has Noah, his family, go into the ark. And he himself seals that door. But what if you're on the outside? You're holding your kids. But again, you're evil. You might not care about your kids. Imagine the terror. I, I could only th suppose that how it was for Noah and his family to hear the pounding on the side of the ark, let us in, let us in. But the door was shut. And that door symbolizes and tells us at some point God says, grace is over. There's now judgment. And the same is true today. Mercy ends, judgment begins. Uh, it's estimated, just an estimate, no one knows for sure, that six billion people died. Now, you remember what you wrote, what you thought of when I said Noah's Ark? It's one of those things, it's kind of like the book of Jonah. We don't really read about it in its entirety. But it's, it's a kid's story. We've done, we've done Noah downstairs, right? Taught him about the ark. If you go to a, a, a Christian bookstore and you look for toys for little kids, they got these cute little arcs. They look like boats. And, and then, you know, the giraffe's always got his head sticking out the top, you know, and there's about a dozen little animals. And it's cute. 
this is not a cute story. This is a horrible, horrible day. As evil as these people were, it was terrifying of what was happening to them. Did anyone say, everyone died but eight people? When I said Noah's Ark, did anyone think that? Or did you have those cute images in your head? If this story bothers you, if this is just filling you with grief and terror, you know what that means? It means you get it. It means you understand it. The wages of sin has always been death. God told that to Adam. Eat of this tree, you will die. For 1,600 years, people have been dying for, the, for that generation today. Death is reality. The same is true today. A few years ago, God put it on my heart, whenever I do a funeral, to make sure I speak to the audience, especially when the casket is right there, and say, we, we've celebrated this person's life, but you know what? One day, you're going to be there. And we're going to gather, and we're going to talk about you for about half an hour, and then we're going to bury you. And you'll be dead. Are you right with Christ? Everyone's going to die. And, and so, and then I present the gospel at that point, to where you can put your faith in Christ and not worry about that death. It's a reality. We don't like to think of it, but it is the reality. And that is true for people today. If, if they're still breathing on the right side of the grass, as they say, they still have mercy. They still can respond uh, to the Lord. Uh, it, so I'll wait for my deathbed. You might, not be, you might fall over one day and miss your deathbed uh, or be in an accident. You have to take care of it while there's still mercy available or when Jesus comes back. Faith, faith is doing what God said. He, um, uh, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 8. God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. So after the ark is floating for, it, it's a while. The water receded after 150 days. Actually, they're in the ark for about a year. Imagine doing that with all the animals. Uh, at least you have a place to muck out the, you know, you can just, throw all the manure overboard. So at least you get rid of that. Uh, but they had prepared, preparing for all that time. The birds were sent out and so forth. And they, they acted like God would tell the truth because that's what they did. But his story is not over. Let me jump down to verse 20. Then Noah built an altar. This is after the ark settles in Mount Ararat. No, I don't know if it's really there or not. Um, I know there's satellite pictures where people see it. Uh, and so forth, but until Turkey lets people in to go up there, we won't know for sure. But uh, Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on an altar. And then the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. The Lord said to his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I strike down every little creature as I've done, while the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Now they leave, they leave the ark, what a relief, and make a sacrifice. It is an act of giving glory to God for ending the terror. Not the terror of the flood, but the terror of all the people. God then gives them, actually a couple times, he tells them the same command he told Adam and Eve, multiply, fill the earth uh, again. <clears throat> Great wickedness demands God's response. It's the same 
now as it was then. God sees, God knows every, here's that word, inclination of every heart. And it's not just the stuff we do. It's the stuff we think. I'd hate for you to know the things I think. I would be embarrassed. I would move away if you knew the stuff that I thought of sometimes. Fortunately for Christ, there's, because of Christ, there's an answer for that. It's a heavy, heavy cost. And either you could die or Jesus will die. And that's the gospel. He took God's wrath on the cross. You want to draw some analogies from the flood story? Jesus is the ark. Jesus is the boat. He's the salvation that God has provided. And he uses people to help bring that about. Today we call those people the church, where we have a job and opportunity to tell other people to be the Noahs, to be preaching, to be letting them know. And by preaching, it doesn't mean you got to stand up in front of a people, but to open our mouths and present the gospel to people. Uh, we, they still have that opportunity. If you're here and you say, you know, I haven't done that. I haven't received God's grace. Well, my friend, you're in good shape right now for the moment. You can still do this. Imagine if one or two or 10,000 of those people said to Noah, Noah, help us, save us. What do we need to do? I could only assume he would say, get your own gopher wood and build yourself an ark. But trust in the creator to save you. We have an opportunity based on God's grace. The door is still open. And then the other thing we need to remember is this is true for our loved ones. This is true for our neighbors. This is true for that person at work who drives you absolutely crazy. And the person that offends you. The person who uses language that you don't like. The person who says and does things that is just offensive. And folks, that even goes to the most evil among us in our culture the drug dealers, the pimps, the gang lords. Salvation is available for them too. And, and the door is still open. Again, if you die or Jesus comes back, time of mercy is over. In church, or church history, biblical history, um, we are living in what many theologians have called the age of grace or the age of mercy. And it started when the church started at Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, where the church was born. New people of God were created and preaching the gospel of Jesus. And we live in that now. At some point, that will end. That will end. And the judgment takes over. Uh, if you're not sure what that's like, then pull up the book of Revelation and start reading. There's three sets of sevens. There's the seven, see if I get these in the right order, the seven seals. We don't mean the or, or, or. We mean seals on a scroll. I thought that when I first read that. It's like, what's wrong with seals? <laughs> on a, think of a scroll with a wax seal on it, and they were broken. And the lamb who is worthy breaks every one of the seals. And then you have the seven trumpets that are sounded. 
And then you have the seven bowls filled with God, God's wrath. And while he, God promised he'll never destroy the earth again with water, and we have the rainbow as a proof. So every time you see a rainbow, it's a reminder of God's covenant. God will destroy the earth with fire later on, and we will get a new heaven and a new earth from that point forward. It's coming. But God has done absolutely everything. Is there anything else that God can do? Is there anything else? He's filled the earth with his, with his ambassadors. He's given us his son. Is there anything else God can do so that men and women would come to faith? I, don't, I can't think of anything. He's given us that privilege. Let's take some time to pause and pray. I have a few prayer suggestions for us. First of all, thank God that he's true to his word. So as it was true to Noah, it's true to us. As that, coming, that judgment came and went, the coming judgment is going to come and it will, it will go. God also, let's praise him for delivering us from our sin. My goodness, I want nothing back. I don't want to be... Um, bitter, angry, apathetic, drunk teenager anymore. There was no future there. He saved me from my sin. All I was doing was hurting myself. God offers grace despite our sin. Well, but you don't know what I did. I don't want to know what you did. But God knows better than you do. And Jesus' grace is more than enough. That's an era of praise. Yeah, but I did this and this was in my past. He is the restorer. He is the redeemer. You got to believe in how amazing his blood is and why we remember that every month as well. So let's praise him for his grace. Finally, I encourage you to pray for, if you want to use initials or another name, a pseudonyme, that's fine. But who in your sphere do you want to pray to believe in the Lord that they might avoid the future judgment? So I'm going to be quiet and let, if you want to pray out loud, by all means do that. And then after a while, I'll close us. But let's spend some time praying through what we just learned this morning. Lord God, I am so grateful that you were true to your word. And Noah built this ark not even knowing what rain was. And over a hundred years, every day, how many days was that? And what did his son say? What did the other people say? Were they mocking him? What did his wife say to all this? But Lord, he, he remained steadfast and he received grace and favor in your eyes. And Lord, we know, we know the promise. I know if I die today, I will be with you in paradise. I know that Jesus is coming back and, and you, will, um, you will make all things right. Uh, and you will bring judgment. And Lord God, your judgments are right and true. And, and Lord, we, we, we feel a tremendous sense of relief. Those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have a tremendous sense of relief that we will not face that and that Jesus has already taken the wrath of God on our behalf. And we, with, with gratefulness beyond imagination, with every breath and heartbeat that we have, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for taking that wrath. You indeed are our ark. You have, you have and are saving us and will save us.
from your wrath. And Lord, we, um, if we spend the rest of our lives and in, in, in all of eternity for that matter in the new heaven and new earth, it won't be enough. But Lord, you are so gracious to recreate us, to bring us back to the place we should be. You have delivered me, Lord, from my sin and from and even now and from helping me, helping me grow and be more like Christ. Lord, I pray that we would not be victimized by our, our, our own guilt, our own shame, but be overwhelmed with the restoration of Jesus Christ when we, when we think things and do things that are contrary to your character. Lord God, I, I can imagine and just uh, think if there is a, for anyone here, if there is a relative, if there is a friend, if there is a, uh, a co-worker, someone in your mind right now for whom needs to avoid the judgment of God, who needs to hear the message, would you put your hand up right now? Is there someone you're thinking of who needs to hear that message? God, I, I don't know who these people are. You do. But Lord, we pray for your divine intervention in their lives. Maybe even use the very person holding their hand up here. It doesn't matter. We're not looking for any credit. We're not looking for any feather in our cap. But Lord, we beseech you. We call upon you, not based on our righteousness, our goodness, how, how many times we're in church and how much we read our Bibles. We're not asking you based on that, Lord. We're asking you based on your grace, based on your favor, grace on your mercy and your compassion. Lord, we lift this person up to you now and just say, Lord, save them, show them, help them. Give me the strength of your power, the words to say that I might present them good news. And Lord, it is your job, it is your job to draw them. But oh God, we, we call upon you for that on this day and this morning. And we look forward, Lord, to hearing how you've done that. And we pray this in your name. Amen. If you prayed for someone today and they, they come around or, boy, we'd love to hear about that. It would encourage the entire body. So I'll put that in your mind. As our worship team comes back up, I have a, a few announcements. We're doing a, it's called an Old Testament walkthrough. And you don't walk, but you do move. Uh, and it is, if you've ever thought the Old Testament's kind of fuzzy in terms of the history, it is a, is a tool, it's a teaching tool. Uh, you do have to stand up and move and do motions. You won't be embarrassed, uh, but it's a lot of fun. It's great for families. Uh, we have a couple posters up. We have some cards back there. If we need more, we can get them. Uh, it looks like it says olive. I don't know why. My mind, but it's OT Live is what it's called. I just think olive whenever I read it, but you didn't need to know that. Um, uh, it is March 18th. It is a morning. It'll be at the Clarion Campus. And you want to, I'm, I'm letting the other pastors in our area know this. So maybe we'll see other friends and family there. And you get a workbook. It's a little spendy. It's 20 bucks a person. Um, but I promise you, I've done this. I've actually taught this multiple times myself. But it, you will enjoy it. You will know about the New Testament when you're thinking, who are these judges and where does Joshua fit in? And you will have a framework in your mind as you're reading through the Old Testament and reading those stories in that history. So um, it'll be, again, March 18th. 
Pretty sure it's in the morning. It's about 9 to 12. I, I, didn't, I should have brought a card up. I didn't. The next thing to announce is we are helping and being part of the Lenten gatherings in our community. Those start on February 22nd, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. I will be preaching that night on the 22nd at Harvest in Petrolia. And then they'll be at various churches and we'll have a schedule for you as well. But we will be hosting that on the um, 8th, March 8th, I believe. And so we'll be here uh, and one of our other local pastors will be preaching. All right. Uh, we, we cleaned it out so because it was overflowing. Thank you for bringing paper tubes, but we could still use them. So toilet paper rolls, paper towel rolls, wrap rolls. If you're putting in a carpet and you have one of those 18-foot rolls, um, we could use those paper rolls. We haven't set the date yet, have we? Actually, we have. We have. February 19th. February 19th. February 19th. Mark that down. 219 after church. Uh, and then we needed volunteers, didn't we, for that? Yeah. Some of those rolls are kind of thick. We could probably be able to bring my chops off. <laughs> well, some of them we're going to have to go through and like prepare ahead of time. But when we did it at camp, it worked really well to have some like pre-built stations for them to build off of. Okay. And um, it was amazing what they came up with. Um, I had the videos and I just was, I had a blast the okay. whole so if you would like to help, can they talk to you or Trish or? Yeah, and again, we want to keep them out of the hospital. That's, you know, yeah. a, goal to, a good goal to have. But I just encourage, again, as a church body to come around our parents and build into their lives as well. So. This, this is what we call a multi-generational activity. Yes. And those are, those are very, very healthy for a church to participate in. All right, I'm done with announcements. Okay.